This episode discusses an ongoing investigation, arrest, and preparation for judicial proceedings. Information may change or be amended after its release. This episode contains graphic description of violence and crime scenes and brief mention of possible sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. This is The Fall Line. Brooke Hargrove, who does all the Fall Line's family interviews, and I, live in northeastern metro Atlanta. In the late summer of 2022, we began to see a flurry of local posts on apps like Nextdoor or in neighborhood groups on Facebook. A teenage girl, Susanna Morales, had gone missing. Brooke began to screenshot those mentions for me so I could try and piece together social media alerts to share on the Fall Lines accounts. As I said, these posts appeared on both our next-door neighborhood groups and then across school pages and Facebook communities devoted to Tucker, Norcross, Shambly, all the northeastern suburbs that hug the edge of the city. A teenage girl didn't come home last night. Last week. Two weeks ago. Do you have ring camera footage that her family can review? Cameras, did you see something? Do you recognize this photo? My text thread with Brooke eventually filled with these screenshots, but we found very little in the local media on Susanna's case. The bare details were there, that Susanna, 16, was last seen on July 26, 2022. The Justice for Susanna website describes her as a bright, kind, and loving 16-year-old who, quote, valued friends and family and music. She played piano and sang and was teaching herself guitar and ukulele. Per the Education in Atlanta website, she attended Meadow Creek High School in Norcross, which is a city in Gwinnett County. That evening in July of 2022, she left her family's home in Norcross, which is a Gwinnett County suburb in the metro, to walk to her friend's home at a nearby apartment complex for a visit. This wasn't unusual. She often spent time with her friends. She was a responsible teenager, and so her family expected her back. And they had good reason to that night. Education in Atlanta reported that Susanna texted her mother, Maria Bran, that she was on her way home at about 10 p.m., This was later backed up by phone data and neighbors' video surveillance. Per Education in Atlanta, quote, video surveillance footage and a location app on the 16-year-old's phone showed her walking on Singleton Road in the direction of her home. According to an online petition featuring a note from Jasmine, Susanna's sister, it was the family themselves who sought out this video footage. Jasmine wrote, quote, We eventually talked to a neighbor who had a camera doorbell that caught her walking at 9.40 p.m. that night. This neighbor was just a few houses down from our house, showing that when she disappeared, she was only a few blocks away from us. We aren't sure of the precise date that Susanna's family acquired this information, but it was early on, and they did note during a press conference that the information was shared with law enforcement. So, we know this, that... Susanna certainly began her walk home, but what happened along the way? Later, Fox 5 would report, quote, Between 10.21 p.m. and 10.26 p.m., her phone indicated that she was in the area of Oak Lock Trace and Steve Reynolds Boulevard. 
Her phone pinged in that location until either it died or was turned off. That's an area a little north of her residence. This is information that was not released in the weeks after her disappearance. It only came out months later. The video footage made it clear to Susanna's family that she had definitely started walking back towards her home. It was a short walk, less than 10 minutes or so, but as we said, she never made it. And within 20 minutes, her family was worried. Susanna wasn't answering her phone. After an hour, they were certain that something was terribly wrong. In Susanna's case, we need to begin on the night that she disappeared. According to her older sister, Jasmine, the family had difficulty filing a missing persons report for Susanna. Dating back to reports from August of 2022, there are disparate presentations of information in Susanna's case. What was assumed, when reports were made, and even what Susanna's family was told. And what was assumed. We'll do our best to tell you everything that's been shared by all sources and what Susanna's family is asking for today, nearly 10 months after she was first reported missing. According to multiple media sources, Susanna's family felt that she was treated immediately as a runaway, and they felt the assumption affected the tenor of the early investigation. They've consistently expressed that perspective since the summer of 2022, when she first disappeared. As her sister later wrote in the description of an online petition, quote, On Tuesday, July 26, Susanna was with our family all day and later that night decided to go to a friend's house. Her friend lived in the neighborhood a nine-minute walk from our house, and she spent the evening there until about 9.40 p.m. when she texted our mom to let us know she was on the way home. This was a walk she'd done many times, and we were waiting for her arrival. At 10 p.m., she still wasn't home. We knew that something was wrong. We begged Gwinnett County Police to look for her, but they told us that people aren't considered missing until after 48 hours. We knew we couldn't wait that long. Susanna's family has stated that they searched for her on the evening of July 26, 2022. Susanna's family has repeatedly indicated that they were told to wait 48 hours to report her missing to law enforcement. We heard them express that ourselves at their press conference. They've also expressed frustration regarding the entire process of making a report for her. In press coverage of Susanna's case, it's been unclear whether Susanna's family had initially attempted to report her missing on the evening of July 26 and were told to wait then, or if they had some initial issues reporting her missing the following morning on July 27. The Gwinnett Police Department has only discussed the date July 27 in regard to the case's opening and report. So, we reached out to the family's publicist for clarification on that detail. On April 12, 2023, the publicist clarified to us via email that the family first made a call to law enforcement on July 26, the evening Susanna went missing. As for Gwinnett Police Department, per multiple media outlets, the department has simply stated that a report was taken on July 27th and hasn't elaborated on any direction or suggestion given to the family prior to that date, other than citing department practices. More specifically, GPD's public information officer told Law and Crime that a, quote, report was taken around 9 a.m. on July 27th, the morning after the suspected kidnapping. The PIO shared an excerpt of a department policy on missing children, which says that there isn't a, quote, waiting period to report a child missing. 
Further, according to Georgia Code Section 35-1-18, quote, no law enforcement agency shall implement a policy or practice which mandates a minimum waiting period before initiating a missing person report with such agency, provided, however, that it shall remain within the discretion of the law enforcement agency to determine what action, if any, is required in response to such a report. So, something that we've wondered about in following the details of this case are the particulars of all of this phrasing. None of it actually gets into the specifics of what happened on the evening of July 26, when Susanna's family say they first called about her disappearance. Assuming that fact is accurate, what were they told then? Was it then, as they've indicated, that they may have received the advice to wait some period of time before filing an official report? Susanna's family aren't currently doing interviews outside of the press conference they held in March of 2023, but we have spoken with many other families who've been told similar things. The interpretation of a phrase like, you might want to wait 24 hours or 48 hours, doesn't prevent a family from filing a report if they insist, but it can certainly dissuade them. We've been told by several families that they were encouraged to wait and then call back and make it official. Obviously, we cannot say that's what happened in Susanna's case, but it could be a scenario. In terms of the official record, a missing persons report was formally opened on the morning of July 27th, about 11 hours after Susanna went missing, so they were able to eventually open a case. But according to the family's version of events, it was later than they would have wished. As we mentioned, Susanna's family has also expressed the feeling that she was treated as a runaway from the beginning. Gwinnett Police has indicated that Susanna may have been considered a runaway at points in the investigation, though it has not been explicitly detailed as to why. You'll hear that mentioned in the official GPD press conference clips that you'll hear later in the show. Our guess, and this is just a guess, is that they may have considered Susanna to be a runaway on the basis of the phone data that suggested that she'd entered a car. Though, of course, someone can enter a car involuntarily. Perhaps this information was gathered when Susanna's phone data was examined by police or when her family tracked her location. Maybe the suggestion came from another source entirely. Either way, Susanna's sister Jasmine questions the validity of the supporting evidence. As Jasmine has pointed out to a number of outlets, Susanna had no belongings with her and she had just texted her mother. It certainly wasn't a classic runaway scenario, but statements and reporting from around the time of her disappearance in outlets like the North Gwinnett Voice seem to indicate that this was the operating theory in the early days, something that frustrated and frightened Susanna's family. It's a question that many families on the show have asked. How do you convince law enforcement, the media, the city, that your loved one wouldn't just disappear? Families tell us that they knew from the beginning that their loved one did not voluntarily leave, but that it took them days or weeks or sometimes years to convince officials of that fact. What happened in Susanna's case and the hours and days and weeks and months that followed has been difficult to untangle into a single narrative. The different versions of how Susanna's disappearance was handled and eventually her case are presented very differently by her family and by law enforcement. 
According to an Oxygen Online article, her family had to deal with another major trauma that other families we've covered on the show have faced as well. Hoax sightings, and even ransom hoaxes designed to extort money from them. We know these scams are becoming more common, along with people who claim to be long-missing children and ask the families of the missing for money or other help, and all of it can cause incredible stress. This is something that we saw mentioned in social media, false sightings of Susanna, hopes brought and dashed again and again. Until February of 2023, we kept up with Susanna's story via posts made by family, supporters, and concerned strangers. That's because there was only a scattering of media reports. It wasn't until that February, when a major break came in her case, that the press was more steadily involved. In March of 2023, we were invited to attend a press conference held by Susanna's family. The Gwinnett County Police also held a conference in March, which we viewed in full, after the fact, on YouTube. In this episode, you'll hear excerpts from both events as we piece together what we know about Susanna's story, what's still unknown, the frustrations her family has felt since last summer, and Gwinnett's version of events. In general, on the fall line, we don't cover active cases, but Susanna's disappearance, her family's feeling, and the lack of media coverage, and what was eventually uncovered this February, need a wider audience. We'll tell you everything that's happened so far, and what's coming, and how you can help. But first, you need to know this. Susanna's case is not the only instance of a missing or murdered Hispanic or Latino Georgian who's received little attention in the past year, and whose case handling has been critiqued by local activists. Our local chapter of the Hispanic United Alliance has been especially active in publicizing cases, questioning law enforcement, media, and the larger governmental approaches to the missing and murdered and the protocols in place, and in asking for better and more thorough press coverage of the missing. Per Fox 5 Atlanta, a protest was organized by the Hispanic United Alliance on February 17, 2023. People hadn't just gathered to protest on Susanna's behalf. The relatives of other missing and murdered residents spoke up too. Per Fox 5, one woman, Zara Garcia, said that her sister, Selena Garcia, 24 years old, had been missing since October. She said that she'd had trouble getting information from her sister's friends and from the police department. In addition to Selena and Susana's cases, protesters also pointed to the death of a 16-year-old named Rodrigo Mayan. As People Magazine reported, Rodrigo was also a student at Meadow Creek High School in Gwinnett County. His body was discovered by his own parents at a home in another Atlanta suburb called Tucker. The family told reporters that they, quote, received tips from social media about his location and that, quote, Rodrigo allegedly died of an overdose and that a 17-year-old presumed to be his best friend is in Gwinnett County Jail facing charges for allegedly hiding his death. The criticisms in the investigation of Rodrigo's death seemed to center on how thoroughly the overdose was investigated. Was it accidental or intentional? And how many other people were actually involved? Rodrigo was not the last. On May 9, 2023, Fox 5 reported that Gwinnett County had, quote, at least four missing persons cases involving young Hispanic people that have led to troubling outcomes. 
Per Fox 5, the Gwinnett Police Department responded to the protesters, quote, As a department, we are committed to serving our community through the delivery of professional law enforcement services in an unbiased and compassionate manner. In the same March 9th Fox 5 article, protester Melissa Morrow pointed out ways that delivery might be more effective, namely, quote, more interpreters to help bring communication and more community outreach. She explained, quote, some classes or some information given to the parents, maybe, to educate us, also as far as how quickly to report a missing child, what to look for, would be helpful. In recent months, Susanna's case has been a special focus for critics, and thus for Gwinnett Police. The department has defended its approach, but this goes beyond a single investigation. As Susanna's disappearance and its implications unfolded, it has raised larger questions beyond media coverage and police response to missing teens. Safety, on many levels, has become a more pressing issue. Because Susanna Morales didn't just disappear. She was missing for almost seven months, and when her family finally had answers, a horrifying story began to unfold. On February 6 of 2023, human remains were discovered nearly 20 miles from Susanna Morales' home in what the North Gwinnett Voice described as an area of, quote, Georgia Highway 316 between Drowning Creek and the Barrow County line. These remains were reportedly found by a passerby. Within days, the Gwinnett County Medical Examiner confirmed the remains as Susanna's. On February 8th, Jennifer Richter of the Gwinnett County Police told Fox 5 that, quote, it does look like she's been there for some period of time. At that time, no cause of death had been established, and Richter told reporters, quote, right now we're really looking at this as a death investigation. We haven't ruled out homicide. Only five days later, a flurry of headlines came. Susanna Morales had been murdered, and someone had been arrested in her case. On February 13th, a Gwinnett County police spokesperson told KTVU, quote, Detectives developed enough probable cause to get an arrest today, but the investigation is still ongoing. And that arrest was of Miles Bryant, a 22-year-old resident of Norcross, Georgia, the same metro suburb where Susanna lived. Until his arrest, he'd served as an officer for the Doraville Police Department in DeKalb County, Georgia. Per KTVU, Bryant's initial charges were, quote, charges of concealing the death of another and the false report of a crime. The next day, Oxygen Online elaborated on that second charge, the false report of a crime. Apparently, the morning after Susanna's disappearance, Bryant's arrest warrant states that he, quote, willfully and knowingly gave a false report of a crime to a law enforcement officer by falsely reporting that his vehicle was broken into and his gun was stolen. Per WSB-TV, Bryant's gun was allegedly found near Susanna's body. By February 22nd, his charges had been upgraded to kidnapping and murder. Susanna's family expressed relief at an arrest, but they also had new concerns. One of the first things her sister Jasmine wrote in an online petition was what they felt was a lapse of time between Susanna's disappearance and the treatment of that disappearance as a crime. 
Jasmine wrote that, in the family's opinion, efforts really only scaled up in early 2023 when, quote, they began to ask us for more details. They asked for her full dental record and for my mom to do a DNA test. After all this, on February 8th, they called us and said that her remains had been found in the woods. This wasn't the family's only concern. The fact that Miles Bryant was a police officer at the time of his arrest soon became a major discussion point, both here in Atlanta and nationwide. It's not only that by vocation, Bryant was someone who should have protected Susanna in such a situation where a child was kidnapped off the street. It was also what began to unfold regarding Bryant's background and whether the Doraville Police Department had ignored reported concerns about his behavior that predated Susanna's death. We will go into that in more detail, but first we want to play you excerpts from the press conference Gwinnett County Police Department held on February 23rd, 2023. Good afternoon. I'm Chief J.D. McClure of the Gwinnett County Police Department. Today I'll be providing an update as it relates to the death of 16-year-old Susanna Morales of Norcross, Georgia. Uh, before I begin, I'd like to extend my condolences to the family, friends, and former classmates of Susanna on behalf of the Gwinnett County Police Department. Additionally, I will take you through a brief timeline of events and then provide for you uh, an update as to where we are today. On July 26th at approximately 6 p.m., we know that Susanna Morales left her home on Santa Ana Drive in Norcross and walked a short distance to the Sterling Glen apartment complex on Indian Trail Road. There, she met with her friend for about four hours, and at about 10 o'clock, she began her trek back to her house. We know that between 10 and 10.30 p.m., uh, Susanna had an interaction with an individual and ultimately was not seen or heard from again. This case was immediately assigned to our criminal investigations division, who worked diligently on this case and followed up on a number of leads and tips However, those leads and tips did not come to fruition. We know that on February the 6th, a citizen who was walking in the area of Drowning Creek Road and Highway 316 happened upon skeletal remains. The Gwinnett County Police Department sealed that crime scene, the crime scene or correction. The uh, Gwinnett County Medical Examiner took custody of those remains and they were positively identified as having belonged to Susanna Morales. The following morning, February 7th, uh, we brought out a large contingency of police personnel and conducted a methodical and meticulous search known as a grid search. And during that search, we located a firearm that had been reported stolen on um, July 27th. This is the same day that Susanna was reported missing. That firearm we traced back to a 22-year-old former Doraville police officer named Miles Bryant. Bryant then became a person of interest in our case. We continue investigating, and on February 13th, we secured warrants for concealing the death of another. Since that time, our criminal investigators have been working uh, this case continuously, and we have reached a threshold to where these charges have now been upgraded to felony murder and kidnapping charges. I would like to thank the Gwinnett County District Attorney's Office for their assistance, along with the Doraville Police Department. And at this time, I'll take any questions that you may have. 
Is it possible that Ms. Morales was raped? It was mentioned that earlier. There is a possibility. And one of the things I really want to do now is, is talk about the timeline. Okay. Recall my earlier statement. Susanna went missing sometime between 10 and 10.30 p.m. on July 26th. Our investigation has revealed that she died, we believe, sometime between the time she was taken, between 10 and 10.30, and 2 a.m. on the morning of the 27th. You'll recall she was reported missing on the morning of July 27th at 9 a.m. So by the time she was reported missing, we have every reason to believe that Susanna was deceased. Can you talk about the possible relationship between Morales and Bryant? Have you been able to make any sort of connection? Did they know each other? Was he the person who approached or you said that there was an individual? Just talk about Correct. what relationship within. Right. So again, we know that Susanna visited her friend at the Sterling Glen apartment complex where uh, Bryant served as the courtesy officer. We have looked at, at the idea or if there was some type of knowledge or relationship, but so far we have not made that connection. So we do not know uh, if she knew or was familiar with Brian in any capacity. So are there any video cameras there? Are there any video cameras at that apartment? Not that I'm aware of. Was Susanna shot? We have no information to indicate that she was shot. So how did she die? We don't definitively know. We're still investigating. What we do know is that she died at the hands of Miles Bryant. Did you say uh, she was uh, reported missing on the 27th? That's correct. And at that time, the police department knew that she was dead? Did you say that what you said? No, no. Susanna was reported missing at 9 a.m. on the 27th. Her parents had looked for her throughout the, the prior evening. However, she was reported missing at 9 a.m. What we've learned throughout the course of our investigation is that she likely died between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. on the 27th. Those kidnapping and murder charges, those are in addition to the concealing of death and the false report? That's correct. You spoke about the timeline. You talk about anything as far as with herself or anything like that that led you to this timeline? So I won't go into the details of, of what we have learned um, with respect to the investigation because it's still active. Um, however, we do have uh, evidence that we've uncovered uh, from several sources, uh, electronically and, and things of that nature. When you say she came into contact with an individual between 10 and 10.30, are you saying that individual is Miles Bryant? Yes, I am saying that Miles Bryant. And you're saying Bryant, she went to visit a friend at the place where Bryant lived? Correct. Did anyone see the two of them together? We have no information that those two were saw together. Again, using our investigative skills, um, we placed the two of them together. Is there any evidence that Miles Bryan used his capacity as a police officer to possibly commit this crime? That we don't know, but we are still investigating that angle. There's been some reports that there was another woman who had some issues with Brian. Do you guys believe there are additional victims that either may have been killed by him or may have had some other kind of harmful interaction with So to be clear, we have no information at this time linking Miles Bryant to have uh, harmed someone in, in a similar fashion. What we do know is that in 2018, uh, Miles Bryant uh, lived next door uh, to a neighbor. We know that uh, uh, in 2018, he went to this neighbor's house and allegedly tried to enter the house through a, a window. Uh, the police were called. Uh, we conducted an on-scene investigation. Uh, 
Miles Bryant countered that argument or that allegation. Um, the homeowner in that case did not wish to, wish to prosecute. Uh, and so that case ultimately was resolved. Uh, there is a 2022 case, December of 2022, uh, in which Miles Bryant uh, visited the home of an acquaintance. Um, we believe that he may have tried to enter uh, a residence um, and we're conducting an investigation on that case. We do believe that warrants are forthcoming. The Hispanic United Alliance has been very critical of you all saying you don't take crimes against Hispanics seriously. What do you say to that? Uh, first, I take exception to that uh, assertion. Um, the Gwinnett County Police Department has a long track record of providing professional law enforcement services in our community. Um, we value the human sanctity uh, of life. And our uh, mission is to provide professional law enforcement services in an unbiased and compassionate manner to all our citizens. And that's what we do. To know that, you know, a police officer has been charged with this kind of crime, what sort of feelings do you have on the fact that you have a trusted member of the community who's held in high regard uh, accused of crime like this? Well, first of all, this is an unspeakable tragedy. Um, this type of crime at the hand of a law enforcement officer uh, evokes anger, uh, even within the ranks of this agency. Um, to your point, police officers should always be pillars of trust. And I do believe uh, that the overwhelming majority of the hundreds of thousands of law enforcement officers in this community are honorable and decent uh, human beings. It's a shame that Miles Davis uh, was able to get in the ranks of law enforcement, um, but I am uh, happy with the department's response in terms of bringing him to justice. Are you Maria, talk about Maria Brand, uh, the mother of Susana Morales, yes, came for many, many answers. So <laughs> as a Hispanic journalist, how we can give Right. So our criminal investigations, the lead investigator is in direct contact with the Morales family. Uh, and we have been in contact with the Morales family since she went missing. So um, that information has been readily provided as, as well as updates in this case along the way. Do you believe he acted alone? At this point, there's no information to indicate that anybody else was involved. Can you tell us about any kind of red flags during, you know, his, his time as an officer? Right. So I will have to refer you to the Dorville Police Department uh, for, for that uh, answer. I do not have uh, his, uh, th that information readily available. Again, I'll, I'll take you back to the work we did at the crime scene. Um, just a phenomenal job investigating and locating that critical piece of evidence. We located a firearm, as I mentioned before, that Miles reported stolen. At that point, he became a purchase of interest. Uh, so we began watching him and watching his activities. Um, our investigators were able to uncover information that directly linked uh, Bryant to this crime. So far, the Hispanic community is um, very cautious about what the Dominican police is doing. There are comments for Charles and the comments in uh, social media, not just in Spanish, also in English, mm -hmm. about what the Winnie County Police is doing and the relationship with the Hispanic community. What is trying to do your uh, office to help to build up this relationship? Because right now it's really, really bad. Well, I, I think that's your assertion of, of the relationship. I happen to believe that it's good. Um, we work constantly to build relationships with our community, all of our community. As I said before, we, we, we place a high value on the sanctity of human life. 
Um, but it's up to our commanders and our officers in the field to continue to build those relationships. Um, I can tell you that we work hard on all criminal investigations. And I think this arrest speaks to that fact. So the initial information that we had was that Susanna, and I want to use this word very carefully, had possibly run away. Regardless of that fact, a lot of our initial investigative steps to locate a person are very similar. So again, this case was immediately assigned to an investigator and they began following up on leads uh, trying to locate Susanna. There were several key points mentioned in both the chief's press announcement and the question and answer session, especially concerning the suspect, Miles Bryant. A few things that we'd like to highlight are that Bryant was working off-duty as a security guard at the Sterling Glen apartment complex, where he also lived. Per Law and Crime, it's the same complex Susanna was at on the night of her disappearance. She was a regular visitor there. We don't have further information regarding the following statement that Susanna had, quote, possibly run away. Once again, could that be based on her phone location data, or was that collected later? It was not elaborated on in the press conference, and her family's public statements are that they felt she had not run away. You also heard mention of another woman. That woman is Alicia Bates. She'd taken her concerns about Miles Bryant to both Gwinnett and Doraville police in a case of accused stalking, with ring doorbell footage to back up her claim. When Bates spoke with Atlanta News First in February of 2023, she explained that she'd known Bryant since elementary school, and that after they'd recently reconnected and hung out, platonically it's implied, things got frightening. Though it's unclear in this original article, Bates later clarified to Fox 5 that these events began in 2019. Chief McClure mentioned 2018, so we aren't sure of the discrepancy there. Bates said that after they hung out, Bryant later showed up at her apartment, quote, unannounced and uninvited. She said that he called her phone looking for her, but that she was at work. When she got home, quote, her door was kicked in. She did not immediately connect this to Bryant until a neighbor saw Bryant trying to enter her apartment on another date. Bates told the paper, quote, I never put two and two together until my neighbor ended up telling me that there was like a guy coming and putting his ear to my door and listening to see if I was home and stuff like that. She was alarmed when she saw him knocking and she said that she saw him trying to break in. Bates was able to view this via her neighbor's ring footage and she told Fox 5 that she recognized this man as Bryant, quote, before Susanna Morales's disappearance. According to Bates, he came by at least three more times, one of which was caught on video footage. He tried to open up her door. Bates did file a complaint with the Doraville police where Bryant was employed. Per Atlanta News First, police records show that Miles Bryant stated, quote, he was only checking on her and did not mean any harm, and he said he would not contact her anymore. She also filed a report with Gwinnett Police, but, quote, it was never assigned to a detective. According to Atlanta News First, the final attempt took place in 2022. Bates told WSB-TV that she feared for her life. Quote, I knew he was capable of it. When the officer asked me why he was trying to break into my apartment, I told him that I was scared and that he was trying to rape me. Fox 5 reported that Bryant, quote, tampered with a locked bedroom window during the break-in, and we take this to mean the incident when Bates' door was actually kicked in, and that now he's facing burglary charges for the event. 
Gwinnett County Police told the news site that a detective is now assigned to the case, the same detective assigned to Susanna Morales' murder. There's been some discussion of other women with similar claims against Bryant, but we have not found official reports released to the media as of April of 2023. We will update you if we do receive that information. In light of the arrest of Susanna's alleged murderer, her family has come forward with a list of concerns and demands to share with the public. These were presented at the press conference that we attended. This list is presented per the family's perspective of events. The list included, among other things, requests for transparency from Dorville and Gwinnett Police and denial of bond for Bryant, something he stated that he will seek. They also asked that, quote, the process for missing minors be evaluated and changed so that families can have access and full transparency during investigation. What we're about to play you are clips from the family's press conference. You'll hear from the family's publicist and their lawyer, as well as an advocate, Chloe Cheyenne, from Community X, an organization that hosts the Justice for Susanna website. You'll hear her read the official statement. And then the main family spokesperson is Susanna's sister, Jasmine. You'll also hear Maria, Susanna's mother, and an interpreter. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dora Whitley. And on behalf of the Susana Morales family, we want to thank you for being here with us today for the Justice for Susana Morales press conference. Our purpose today is to open a platform for Susana's family and the media to connect. We appreciate your time. Before we begin for, and with introductions this morning, I would like to ask for a moment of, a moment of silence for Susana. As a parent, there is nothing more terrifying than having your child go missing. But as a mother, a woman who has carried and birthed that child into this world, that is a pain beyond expression. And the devastation that follows the discovery that your missing child was murdered is unspeakable. For all the parents in this audience, pause right now and imagine the worst. Your baby goes missing for a day, seven days, 14 days, a month, two months, seven months, and then one day, police contact you asking for a DNA sample, and your child turns up in literal pieces. That's what this mother and sister went through. Black and brown children who go missing in this country receive little to no media coverage as compared to their white counterparts. So thank you to each and every one of you from the media who came out to support the family of Susana Morales. And thank you to the organizations that have supported this fight for justice for Susana. 
Please look for me, Carmen Perez and the Gathering for Justice, Black Alliance for Peace, and Priscilla Luna and Alchemia Global. Thank you. Thank you, Floyd. I will now read a statement from Mr. Brandon Smith with Brandon Smith Law. We represent the family of Susana Morales, arising out of this horrible, unimaginable tragedy. My firm has been retained to investigate every aspect of this case, to explore every legal option available to this family. We plan to honor Susanna's life throughout this process, to honor this very special family, and to seek justice, to do the right thing, to make Georgia a better and safer place to live. And I thank you for your common interest in joining us in that pursuit. Thank you, Brandon Smith with Brandon Smith Law. I will now pass the voice to Ms. Jasmine Morales. I'm Susanna my little sister. Um, and we're here today to demand justice for her. When we talk about Susanna, she's the baby of the family. She's my little sister. She's the youngest of us three. You want to ask me how she was? She's the life of the family. From the beginning, um, we just knew she didn't run away in the beginning. Uh, when she didn't come home that night, I wanted to believe that everything was okay. Um, I told myself, yeah, maybe her phone died. She maybe fell asleep by her friend's house. Um, but deep down, my mom knew that um, something wasn't right that night. And that's when the next morning, that's when we were putting her missing. And we just didn't know the months that were to follow. It was seven long months of looking, doing what we could, what we had in our power to see what would come up to Santa. So I remember like two, day, two days after her being missing, we were able to get that first video clip of her um, going home. And that day was just a relief for me. I was just, look, we have proof that she was on her way home. I was just like, then why, why, why didn't she make it home? All those months of not knowing what happened to her. Is she okay? Is she eating? Um, it's something that no one should have to go through. And that's why we're here today, to make sure that this doesn't happen to another girl or boy, another young teen. I think now um, what my family goes through is we have to accept the fact that we're not going to see her again. Um, before it was okay, because we were just holding on to the fact that we were going to see her again one day. And that every day she would walk through those doors. And then we would see her So on the day that we found out that her bits were found, uh, I was, I didn't believe it. I was like a week uh, believing that it would be her that it had to be a mistake. Um, that day I remember. My mom was telling me that she wanted to bring her home. She wanted to bring her home to us. Cause she'd been alone for so long. We just wanted her to be back at home with us. And now we rest on the fact that now she's back with us. And we were able to lay her to rest. And we have a place where we're able to visit her. Um, no matter what we do, um, nothing's ever going to bring her back to us. No amount of money, no amount of justice will be for bringing her back to us. What we can do is try and make sure that this doesn't happen to any videos again. And that's why we're here today. Um, just a memory that I want everyone to know about Susanna is um, she's 16. 
She was barely starting out in high school. She had a whole life to live. I remember when we were little, we would, um, she was talented one, so she played the piano. So I would just help her sing, but she had a beautiful voice, a beautiful voice. And that's something that all the people to look back to is we have a couple videos of her singing. And all that left of her is not memories. It wasn't enough memories. She was, she had a lot of life to live in. I think about all the stuff that I have to go through now without her. She would never be able to graduate high school. She would never be able to start home with family. She didn't get to live her life. She wouldn't even get to start it. She was only 16. It just hurts. We will now have uh, the mother of Susana Morales to address all of you. Please bear with us. We do have a translator um, present. We are here today demanding justice, even though this is a very hurtful time for our family. It's been a long, hurtful process since July 26th, the night she went missing, and we've been looking for her ever since. So we're here today demanding justice for Susana. She never returned home And we looked for her and looked for her for six months and three weeks. And no one could give us any answers. We're here demanding justice for Susana. We do not want the person responsible for this to be free. We want them to receive justice. We do not want them to receive bail. We do not want other children to go through this again. Trying to help others in our community and other communities who are missing children and young girls. We do not want this to happen to any other families. We do not want the, any other families to go through what we are going through in this situation. And the pain that I carry. Because they're looking for bail to get this person out, and we do not want this person to come out. What is it that you are hoping to see? What kind of change and how they deal with? Um, trying to get to the Hispanic community um, where someone like Louisiana disappears um, in the future. We just feel like maybe if there had been consequences from the beginning, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Susanna's family stressed that if Bryant's stalking of Bates had been taken seriously, there's a chance Susanna would have made it home safely last July. As they explained, it's one of the many things that they just can't stop thinking about. 
If you'd like to read the family's perspective on the case, sign their petition, or support them in other ways, you can visit their website, which is linked in our show notes. And you can also donate to Susanna's burial expenses. This is an ongoing story, and we will provide updates on social media. If you have any further information on the movements, background, or previous actions of Miles Bryant or anyone else related to the Susanna Morales case, please call the Gwinnett County Police Department tip line at 770-513-5480. If you know of a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link to our case submission form in the show notes. And thank you for listening. The Fall Line is an independently produced show, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIA, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes, and it really helps. And please take a moment to give the show a great rating in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to pre-order my book, which covers a year of my life working on a Jane Doe case and the world of forensic scientists who resolve unidentified persons' cases, you can find a link in our show notes. The book's called Lay Them to Rest, and it's out this October. Pre-ordering the book is a big factor in its success, so I really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the fall line and the stories we cover, join us on Patreon. We're raising Patreon funds to continue to pay for the Milbrook Twins billboard and fund therapy for families who've been on the show. Every one of our patrons helps us continue this work, and we're so grateful for that help. On Patreon, you can get early release, ad-free versions of our regular episodes for $5 a month. We also have occasional video live streams and blogs, which all patrons can enjoy starting at just a dollar. If you prefer Apple Premium, we've begun that feed as well so you have an alternative way to contribute. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research by Brian Waters, Kiana Burgess, and Michaela Morrow. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy Sue Williams, Liv Fallon, and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Liz Lipka and Sarah Turney. As of November 2022, our monthly donations are going to support Season of Justice to support their testing and family grant initiatives.